Hello people, welcome back. And I'd just like to give you a very special welcome if you're joining together with me as we work together studying the entire Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. doesn't matter whether you're here for the very first time or you've been along with me for a while now or even from the very beginning. Every single one of you, I wish you a blessed day and a blessed time together studying the Word of God. And if you are here for the first time, then why not just click on that subscribe button wherever it is you get your podcasts from. And that way you need never miss another single episode. And that way you too can make the study of the Bible part of your daily routine. So with that said, we leave it there for now. And please do hang on at the end, particularly if you're here for the first time. And I'll tell you lots of ways you can connect to other free great Bible teaching resources and the other places that I put those things. So with that said, we're going to drop back into Exodus chapter 20 and pick up where we left off. Bye-bye for now. You know, if there's anything at all you pick up the Bible if you've read it a few times you're bound to have stumbled upon a phrase especially in the Old Testament which talks about something called the fear of the Lord. I've called today's talk two types of fear and we're going to cover the text from Exodus chapter 20 verses 18 to 26 for there are indeed two types of fear revealed in the Bible one that people naturally have and one that really people should try and get. So today I want to try and ask what is the first and how do we gain the second? Now in preparing for this I've looked at several passages of scripture, not just the Exodus one, phrases in which these words the fear of the Lord appears. But having said that, what I discovered, yes there are other passages that I will draw on to back this up, but in effect there's no better passage to describe and explain what this term, the fear of the Lord, means and the situations to which it applies both kinds of fear of the Lord and that is these closing verses of Exodus chapter 20. So today that's what we're going to look at. I will recall if you've been with me so far we've just exited this foundational passage in the first part of Exodus chapter 20 where the Ten Commandments are recorded and given. By the way, I don't know if you know this, the Ten Commandments are also recorded in Deuteronomy and of course we look at them again and the different aspect they teach about them then. But the most well-known passage, the most famous one of all, is the descriptive giving of the Ten Commandments in this opening section of Exodus chapter 20. So we've just looked at those in great detail together. If you've been with me uh, recently over the last three days I took to go through them, but now we have this fascinating passage that follows straight on. It's a sort of scripture to round off what was just said and it begins straight after the giving of the commandments in verse 18. But you need to very much keep in mind as we read through this together that the children of Israel through Moses have just been given the Ten Commandments. So picking up reading verses 18 and 19 first. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. So this is a verse that leads many to the conclusion that although God speaks to the people, 
The people's response, the general people's response, is to be one of fear. It says they're pretty much hiding. They're off to the side, hiding away from the Lord. And they actually say to Moses, you know, if God's going to speak anymore, it's best he only speaks through a mediator, through you, Moses. You, Moses, go and speak with the Lord, but then you come and speak to us. We don't want to hear from the Lord directly. We're terrified of that. They're scared to the point where they literally believe that if God speaks to them directly, they will die. Now, Moses' response to this is, well, it's quite fascinating. Listen to what he says. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you. So the fear of the Lord will be with you to keep you from sinning. Now, this is this very phrase that I've talked about, the fear of the Lord. And it appears in the Bible many times over and over again. And Moses's response to this is to say, in this situation, you're not having the proper response to the Lord. You have a fear of the Lord, but it's not the proper response. He's not about to kill you. He's simply spoken to us. He's demonstrated his power. Then he's given us his word and his truth. And that's something you shouldn't be afraid of. And he says, for God has come to test you. In other words, this is the reason God's done these things. God has come and revealed himself in this way, not to kill people, but to test them, meaning he's giving them, the people, his truth, and he's testing us in the sense that he wants to see whether or not we will respond to it and obey it. And that's the idea that's going on here. So this test, so to speak, needs to be understood in the fact that God's motivation, God's purpose, was not for people to die following the revealing of the law. The point is, he wanted to see people come to him and respond to him, particularly through obedience. So let me make the very clear distinction here in what this term means and how it should be applied. And it's an interesting distinction because there is fear and a fear of the Lord. But there is a fear of the Lord that makes you withdraw, that makes you go far from him. And there is a fear, a response, a fear of the Lord that makes you come nearer to God. A response that, yeah, instills fear in you. It is a case of being frightened of sinning. And what's happened here is with the revealing of the Ten Commandments, from this point forward, God has clearly stated how sinning would and could and should be defined among the people of God by future be obedience to the commandments that he has revealed. So maybe their initial fear was in one sense quite natural, maybe even you might say legitimate. But the second fear, their response to the giving of the law, this type of fear that follows on from the revelation of God is not the type of fear that God was seeking. There is a response in our life of a godly type of fear, a godly fear of the Lord, a legitimate fear of the Lord, but it is something that should motivate us not to sin, something that should make us afraid of the consequences in our lives of living a sinful, disobedient life. And I think that's the kind of fear that's very clearly been mentioned here. And it's the same fear that's mentioned in other places in the Bible, particularly the book of Proverbs, where over and over again we see references to this fear of the Lord. But it actually tells us in Proverbs things like, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So there are definitely two types of fear. A fear that we see here that makes people retreat from the Lord and a fear, 
another type of fear, a godly fear that makes people and motivates people to try and stop sinning. And it's very clear that in this passage, which type of fear the people are expressing here. It's the illegitimate type of fear that draws them, pushes them, makes them withdraw from God. Now, in my preparation today, I've spent some time trying to figure out what are examples of a legitimate fear of the Lord. And I think the place to go for that, as I've said, is the book of Proverbs. I've learnt a lot and found a lot of examples there when I looked at it. And I believe that by looking at this aspect of it, I think there are three things. Well, certainly three things that I've learned about what this legitimate fear of the Lord is. And I'd just like to quickly share them with you. Number one, a legitimate fear of the Lord clearly involves knowing the Lord. In the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord, as described there, is synonymous with having a close, intimate knowledge and relationship with the Lord. In fact, in verse 10, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But then it expands on that phrase by adding a few verses later, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So in this case, the fear of the Lord is revealed as not only beginning of wisdom, but that it is appropriated more and more by a knowledge of the Holy One. And both those concepts are meant to run together and parallel each other. They are synonymous with each other. And the extra phrase added to the proverb indicates that true fear on the Lord will lie in having an increasing knowledge and understanding of him. In fact, the Bible has taught all the way through, I would say from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, the point where Abraham was credited with righteousness for his faith. From that point forward, all the way through, right to the end of the New Testament teaching, that we can know the Lord by faith. And we know him when we understand who Jesus is and what we did. And when we trust in that, we come to really know him. According to Jesus, as recorded in the Gospel of John, the more we live a life of loving obedience to him, the more we will get to know him. That's why maybe Paul, who'd been a believer for many years at this point, cried out when writing to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 10, his cry was, that I might know him. Now you might read that and think, what do you mean, Paul? You already know him. You've known him for years. You encountered him years ago on the road to Damascus. You certainly know him and you've known him for a long time. But Paul, even at that point, said, I want to know him more and more every day in a more personal way. So you begin this knowledge of the Lord by faith, faith in him and faith in who he has provided for us in Jesus. And you get to know him more and more, ultimately by living a life whereby you obey him, you lovingly, willingly obey him. You see, when the Bible uses the phrase fear of the Lord, it is assuming that you know the Lord is and what he's like. And that's what it's talking about here in Proverbs chapter 9. So number one in a biblical understanding of a legitimate fear by the Lord is understanding that it clearly involves knowing the Lord personally. But the second thing it says is that there's a reverence for the Lord, that by knowing him, you then will revere him. Now the word we translate as revere is the Hebrew word yira, which means to stand in awe or in reverence. So that is being revealed here as part of the fear of the Lord. Yes, we know him. Yes, we have a personal relationship with him. But it is one based on reverence. 
and the parallel being made between those two things here indicate that part of the fear of the Lord is standing in that position of awe before him. These two things are inseparable. You see, the Bible often links the fear of the Lord to obedience in general. That is what motivates us to be obedient to him. But the use of the term fear here in the Hebrew text is a sense, just a shorthand way of signaling both the awe and obedience and reverence of the Lord all being encompassed at the same time. But I also believe there's a third element to this fear of the Lord. You may remember just a second ago, I said the definition of the Hebrew word yura was to do with reverence and respect and awe. But it actually means a whole string of things, but it actually also included that is we can't get away from the legitimate translation of it just meaning to be afraid. So there is a sense that knowing the Lord, it is about standing in awe of him, but also that that will lead to a legitimate type of fear. You can't get away from the fact that fear of the Lord actually can mean just to be afraid of the Lord, but afraid not of him and who he is, because we know who he is personally, and he's revealed to us that he is the God who loved us and created us, but a fear of him in respect to the consequences in our lives of any future potential sin. You see, unbelievers, they may be terrified underneath at the judgment of God, but grace can change that fear to a legitimate fear for reverence and awe in the believer. In fact, Paul, writing to Timothy, said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So the fear that believers have is not the same as the fear of an unbeliever. The fear of the believer has been replaced with a concern, a fear if you like, not to offend the Lord by sinning, but instead try to please him and be afraid of the consequences in our life of maintaining and living in a sinful way. So the right kind of fear, the legitimate fear of the Lord, involves knowing the Lord, revering the Lord, and fearing displeasing the Lord. And that is a good type of fear. All right, back to Exodus 20, and we've still got a problem for these people, haven't we? These people, we see they're standing far off. So it shows that they have the wrong type of fear of the Lord. Moses, he had that type of fear. He had marched into the presence of the Lord, stood before the Lord, and listened to what God had said to him. These people, they want nothing to do with that. Their response is to back off and say to Moses, just you go and do that, Moses, and then you come back and tell us what he said. That's how their illegitimate fear of the Lord was manifesting. Their fear led them to feel a need, a growing need for a mediator to stand between them and the Lord. Isn't that interesting? I wonder if you knew that the word mediator is the word used to what we would today describe, literally translate as a priest. So you see, the wrong type of fear leads people not only to have a growing distance between God and his people, in them, but it also, I believe, leads to an inclination to set up a mediator between God and the individual, because people actually become afraid to approach God individually. Isn't that interesting? So the text continues, verses 21 to 26, and tells us, So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, 
Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me. Gold or silver or gods of gold you shall not make for yourselves. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it burnt offerings and peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I am by name, I will come to you and bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it out of hewn stone, for if you use a tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up to the steps to my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. Now, many have noticed that this phrase, make no gods of gold and silver, is important, because that's in fact the very thing that the pagans did at that time. The Canaanites made those type of altars, and they were very ornate, and they had a large number of steps going up to them. And God says, I don't want anything like that. I don't want any sort of steps or carvings or fancy things. I don't want gold and silver. I want a plain dirt altar made out of the soil of the ground. And even the rocks and stones on it are just to be natural stones piled, not things that are fashioned or carved out of stone, lest they begin to draw attention to the creation rather than creator. So he's simply saying, you don't get to me by making these sort of fancy religious altars. You don't get close to me by climbing up some steps to be raised above the people. You get to me by simply making a sacrifice. You see, God saying approaching me has absolutely, positively nothing to do with all that sort of fancy religious regalia. It has to do with the personal, individual decision that you've made to make a sacrifice before me. That's the way I can be with you. That's the way you can be close to me. That's the way you need not be afraid to be close with me. It's through a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. Isn't it great to know that you don't have to go before the Lord based on anything that you have to do? Remember, he's just revealed the law to the people here. So he's saying, look, it's there. That's how to draw near to me. You draw near to me by the combination of obedience and sacrifice. And that, my friends, I submit, is the point of this passage. That's why it comes after the commandments of a, a sort of full explanation of their purpose, saying, look, these people are far off. Now, sadly, they remain far off, but now he's saying, look, I can be with you. I can be alongside you. I can be near you. And that, my friends, I believe is the point of the second half of chapter 18. The fact that the fear of the Lord should not cause us to stand far off from him, but we should lose that type of illegitimate fear and replace it with the fear of the Lord. That means that we can trust him and draw near to him. And the basis of that drawing near to him is obedience to the laws that he's revealed to us and the element of making sacrifice. And that, in a nutshell, is the book of Exodus. But let me just add that this is also a picture of a reality that comes to pass, fully comes to pass, fully formed and revealed in the New Testament. So I'm going to close by making a couple of observations. And to do that, I want to turn quickly to Ephesians chapter 1. Let me just read to you, first of all, verse 7. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. But then look at what it says is a few verses later in the chapter is it says this. Therefore, remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh. We were called uncircumcised 
by those who were called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. But at that time you were without Christ, being alien from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Jesus Christ, you have come far off and you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So do you see that? We are brought near by the blood of Christ. That's the reality of the New Testament. It's illustrated here in the Old Testament with the blood of an animal sacrifice, but in the New Testament, it is fully gained, fully revealed for us by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself. And we can unpack this further at a greater depth if we turn to Hebrews chapter 9 and look at verse 13 where it tells us, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctify for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now, there are other passages in the New Testament that indicate this. Many of them, and they all indicate that we are brought near, that we now have a relationship with God, ultimately because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And it fulfills it much more fully, much more completely. And that's salvation, the fact that we're saved by faith. And the way it gets expressed in this day and age is by having faith, in the finished work of Christ, the fact that he sacrificed, he died for our sins, he shed his blood for our sins, and we are united to him because of what he did in his death and resurrection. And it is that that not only brings us back to God, but brings us back close to him and keeps us close to him. Sadly, it seems to me that even some evangelical preachers today make it sounds that you've got to go through some sort of well, they wouldn't use the word penance, but by nature it is a penance when they are constantly teaching that you constantly need to rededicate your life to the Lord. Pretty much every time you sin, it seems to me sometimes. And that if by doing that and repeatedly doing that, then your sin problem will be dealt with. Well, that's not really, I believe, what's going on here and what the purpose of Christ's salvation was. Listen to what 1 John chapter 1 says, verse 9. And maybe if you're hearing this and understanding it for the first time, I suggest that you memorize it. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there you go. The only thing we really need to do is simply keep confessing our sins. Because as John also tells us in the same chapter, that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we will have i.e. ongoing, maintain, if you like, fellowship with one another, and the blood of Christ, his Son, will continue to cleanse us, present tense, continue cleansing us from all sins. Some people teach that when you sin, you fall out of fellowship with the Lord. They say you have to go and back and confess to get back into fellowship with him. But this verse clearly puts it the other way around. It says, yes, you should confess your sins, but when you're walking in the light, you will see your sin, and it is when you're in the light, in fellowship with the Lord, close to the Lord, you will realize that you don't match up to the light, to the standard that he set, and hear me and hear me well, there's only one solution, and that was always and will always be, the sin will be dealt with by the blood of Christ in terms of you being forgiven, ongoing forgiven, 
eternally forgiven by God. You don't have to do anything before or after salvation. It's all based on the blood of Christ. By walking in the light, by continuing to walk in the light, you can begin to see your sin and realize that the only way that we can be saved is by the blood of Christ. So when you see it, when the light draws attention to it, simply confess it privately to the Lord. That's the order of the passage. That's the order of these events in our lives. The point I want to make today is that the solution to sin is, of course, the blood of Christ, both for salvation, for salvation, and after salvation, evermore. Okay, I'm almost done. Very quickly back into Exodus 20, I said there are two types of fear. The type of fear that can make you stand off and create a distance between you and the Lord and the fear that can make you draw near to him. And what I want to do is end by reminding you that the difference between those two states, those two types of fear, can only be bridged by a sacrifice. But God doesn't want anything fancy. He just wants you to make a personal sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of handing your life over to him. And he says, he promises that I will be with you when you do that, because it is that initial decision to trust in him and allow Christ to be that sacrifice for you is the thing that will wash away your guilt and also deal with any of those legitimate fears you might have and also allow you to live from there on in without being plagued by those illegitimate fears in the knowledge that he will be with you and he will bless you and he will continue to bless you. And today we appropriate that sacrifice perfectly not by building altars and sacrificing animals on them, but relying on the one sacrifice that Jesus himself made on our behalf, the one and for all perfect sacrifice. So I want to close by telling you one final thing. If you live your life with any feelings of guilt or fear, then simply go to the sacrifice of Christ because it was there there was no other way to salvation and there is no other way in which we continue to be saved. It is always and will always be based on that once and for all perfect sacrifice that he made. And also if you are saved and you're still plagued by feelings of guilt, then again just go to the sacrifice of Christ and turn that illegitimate fear, a fear of the fact that you sinned into a legitimate type of fear only worrying about the fact that you might miss out on experiencing the blessings and the benefit of living in the forgiveness of God. You see the blood of Christ does more than one thing, it does a number of things. It's not just that it saved you but it's also that it's the only thing that will keep saving you. It was the only thing that can keep you saved presently, always, by cleansing you, not only from the sins of the past, but from any future sin, thereby enabling you to keep walking close to the Lord. And that, my friends, I believe is the point of this passage. The whole point of this passage is to enable you to understand that you can replace illegitimate fear, the fear of death, the fear of condemnation, with the legitimate fear, one that causes you to draw near to the Lord because you understand the consequences of living a life outside of that. A fear that draws you near to the Lord and nearer and nearer and always trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ with his Son. 
And that, my friend, is not just the message of this closing part of Exodus chapter 18, but I would suggest the whole Bible, the whole gospel. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I do hope that you got something out of that today. I know I certainly did when I'm in the preparation of it. Can I remind you that my name is Jeremy McCandless and you've been listening to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And this podcast is hosted on the Bible Project at buzzsprite.com. And that's the place where you'll find links to other areas of my ministry. Now, of course, you can subscribe to this podcast wherever did you get your podcast from, that's fine. But if you want to find active links to other places, like the Facebook page, LinkedIn, all the socials, that sort of stuff, even the Patreon page where people support and connect with this ministry, you can do all those things there, as well as getting an episode notes page and a free transcript of pretty much what I've said today for each episode. That's all found in the Buzzsprout host website. But having said all that, it's just great to have you here with me. It's great to spend time together making the study, not just the reading, but the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of our daily lives. And why not? Well, let's continue to do that together. And I do hope I'll see you back here again tomorrow what will be tomorrow for me it's whatever day is good for you and works for you as we come back together again on the bible project daily podcast bye-bye for now